Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 8th chapter, verses uh, 31 through 37. Hear now the word of our Lord. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. So, in my 20s, if, uh, if someone had come up to me, maybe a fortune teller or something like that, and predicted that at one point in my life I would pay $170 for three sticks and that I would do it with a, a big smile on my face, I would have told them they were crazy. Uh, but that's before I visited the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Uh, see, there you can purchase three sticks for $170, and most people that do it uh, do it uh, with a big smile on their face because they want their kids to have that magic wand, just like, uh, just like Harry Potter has in the movies. What you need to understand is that when we go on vacation, I'm in charge. I'm the leader. Uh, I've, I've done the research. Uh, I get on these websites and I figure out, uh, especially like when we go to theme parks, like uh, what order we need to do the rides in to, to stand in as few lines as possible, what time we need to get there, all that sort of stuff. Uh, um, I take everyone like what they want to do in, adv- in advisement and then I make the itinerary where we're going to eat, what we're going to do, what we're going to see. And, uh, and, and then I make the budget. I put the money for each day in its own envelope. I'm in charge. And uh, when we get there, I'm ahead of the party. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes a little too far ahead, I look back and, I, and people are looking at something and they don't know that we're supposed to be rushing to the next ride so the lines don't build up. Um, but I'm in charge of the party. I'm the man with the plan. I know what we're going to do next. Um, I'm kind of like, uh, like uh, when you think about it, Rick on The Walking Dead, you know? I'm like in charge of my party, and, uh, and we're all going to forage together, and, uh, but I call the shots. Um, I, I, I tell you this because I kind of lost control of the party at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, this is the first time we went, maybe a couple years ago, and, um, and one of the things in the guidebook said that 
you know, if you visit the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you really ought to see the wand shop. You see, when you go to the Wizarding World, you feel like you're there, right? Um, there are all these shops that look just like in the movies. There's some, Everywhere you look, there's something to see. You can see Hogwarts Castle. You can uh, ride in the train. You can even, like, walk through the wall like the kids walk through the wall to get to the train. It's really, really cool. And one of the things the guidebook says is you must go see this wand shop. And so I, uh, I, 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 I gathered my group, my party, and said, listen, we're going into this wand shop, and, um, and the guidebook says it's really cool, it's something to see, so we're going to go look around, but we're not going to buy anything, okay? And, uh, and there was an employee walking by, and he was kind of smirking. And uh, now I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, muggle, <laughs> right? And so uh, we got in line, like, we were in line to, to go to see this wand shop. And we got in line. When it was our turn, uh, they took about 20 of us in a group um, to this sort of pre-show area. It was a pre-show area before you actually got into the store. And um, it, was, it was just like the movie, right? There was really tall shelves, and they were all full of wands, and there was the, the high uh, desk that the, the shopkeeper sat at, and you just felt like you were there. And so there's uh, 20 of us huddled into this, uh, this um, wand shop, and we were all kind of, you know, talking, and, and then the shopkeeper comes in. And it was just like, like if you've ever been in a courtroom when the judge steps in, it was like that. Everyone's just like snapped to attention. It's really quiet. And uh, and um, and the, the the shopkeeper takes his uh, takes his position, and you can tell this guy in another life is like a classically trained Shakespearean actor, right? Because he's he's stroking his chin and he's talking about the history of wand making and how um, how you know you don't choose the wand, the wand chooses you, right? And we're just lapping this stuff up, right? Um, <coughs> then uh, the man uh, says, I'll bet there's someone in here who wants to choose their first wand. Before I could say anything, before I could, you know, um, uh, object, before I could explain what my party's business was here, uh, she, uh, uh, the wand keeper whisked Nora Grace uh, out of my party and brought her in front of everybody and said, we're going to pick your first one today. And, uh, and if you listen really closely, you could hear in my wallet the dollar bill celebrating. <laughs> like, we're getting out of here today. All right. So, um, so the one, the, 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 the shopkeeper um, uh, pulls out this one from off the shelf. And it's this big, garish, curly, scary-looking thing. And, uh, and he puts it in Nora's hand and says, um, I want, want you to swish your hand, and we're going to make this feather levitate. I want you to say, Wingardium Leviosa. And you all know Nora. She's kind of shy, so she's like, Wingardium Leviosa. And, um, and instead of the little feather levitating, um, like, uh, like the bookshelves shake and, and like the books are like coming off the shelves. And so, uh, and so, uh, the, the shopkeeper grabs the wand from her and, and restores order. And then, uh, he strokes his chin for a second. He's like, let's try this one. And then he pulls this other one off the shelf. It's this dainty, uh, looking thing. And, uh, it says, 
Now try this one. We're going to do a Lumo spell. We're going to make this, uh, this candle light up. And so Nora Grace uh, picks up the wand and says, Lumos, and, uh, and instead of the candle lagging up, like every light in, in the place starts to flicker, and then the lights go out, and then they come back on again, and, uh, and, and, and the shopkeeper goes, no, 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 much too powerful. Now, the shopkeeper's perplexed, and we're all perplexed. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? The shopkeeper thinks for a second, and then he says, could it be? And he goes back to his shelf, and, uh, and he grabs this, uh, this, this little box that's, that's been on the shelf for centuries, and uh, he blows the dust off it, and then he opens it, and, and like you just know, this is our wand. And he's just very, because it's a sacred object. He's just, his hands are almost trembling as he puts it in Nora's hand. And she lifts it up and she does a swish. All the lights come on. And I'm not kidding. The spotlight comes down on her of like heavenly light. And then there's like the music like, and everyone is like clapping. And, uh, and, and everyone's high-fiving her. Congratulations, you got your wand. And, uh, and then, then a door opens to the actual store, and, uh, and, and, and the shopkeeper says, congratulations on your wand. The rest of you are free to check out our wands in the store. And, uh, and everyone just starts stampeding into the store. Um, Nora, uh, Nora Grace has got her wand. She's stampeding into the store. Crystal's stampeding into the store. And... I have this moment of like, here I am left by myself. I've lost control of my party. <laughs> They've gone without me. I realize the agenda has changed. The itinerary has changed. I am no longer in charge of this situation. And so I have this choice. I can pitch a fit. I can make my wishes known. I can reinstate the itinerary and lose, or I can go along with this. And so the only logical choice is to go along with this. It's like, oh, well, the one chose Savannah, uh, Nora. Oh, it's, uh, it's $60. That's great. Oh, oh, Savannah wants one too. That's $60 too. That's great. Oh, oh, now William wants a wand. Oh, that's fabulous. Everybody gets a wand. And I, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, there's that Italian place you wanted to try. We won't do that. And like, I'm rearranging everything, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and there, just as predicted, $170 for three sticks. And I've got a big smile on my face, right? You see, when I look back, when the agenda really changed for me was when those sticks, those three sticks, were transformed into wands. Somewhere in the whole presentation, our imagination took over and those three sticks were transformed into wands. And we believed in the magic and, and we were just going along with it, right? There was something that happened in us and like, we got to have these wands. And they're pretty cool. I mean, there are places around the wizarding world they can stand, they can swish their wand, and different things will happen at the buildings. You know, we're really happy to have them. One would have done, you know, but whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, but it, it was a great experience. What can I say? 
But when the agenda changed was when those three sticks stopped being sticks and it became for us magic wands. We just had to have them. I felt a little like Peter must have felt in this passage that we read this morning. See, the agenda changes on Peter. Peter's used to being Jesus' right-hand man, and so uh, for the other disciples, he's the one who's got the itinerary, right? He's the one who's in charge. He's the one that knows what's going on. And the agenda has suddenly changed on him. Now, we can judge Peter, right? After all, Jesus called him Satan, right? We can judge Peter. But remember, just last week, just a passage before, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who straightened himself up, who stood up and said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, right? But what, Jesus, what Peter thinks a Messiah is and what Jesus starts teaching that a Messiah is is two totally different things. See, the agenda has changed on Peter and he doesn't like it. He can't track with it. See, in, in Peter's mind, a Messiah is this. He's a king. He's a revolutionary. He's the guy that's going to march into Jerusalem and say to the Romans, get out, right? And all the people are going to listen to him and they're going to help overthrow the Roman government. And then he's going to sit on the throne of David, him and his family forever and ever and ever, ushering a new uh, period of peace and prosperity. And for Peter, that means he's going to be the new king's right-hand man. He's going to be the one marching in with him. That's the agenda. That's what's on the itinerary. And suddenly, it's all changing. Suddenly, Jesus is saying, the Messiah has to suffer. He has to die. He's going to be delivered into the hands of the elders and the teachers of the law. Right? This is not the agenda that Peter has in mind. So he doesn't know what to do. And it makes him angry. And so Peter and Jesus have a big fight and they have it in front of everybody. Right? It it says he took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Now, what you need to understand is in the first century, Disciples followed rabbis both figuratively and literally. Like when they walk from one place to another, rabbi walks in front, disciples walk behind. Wherever they go, you, you can see them. It's like the mama ducks and the baby ducks. You know who, the, who the, uh, the, the, the rabbi is and who the disciples are, right? And so um, you've got to picture them walking along the road. Uh, Jesus is, is, as they walk, he's explaining these things to his disciples. And Peter's not having it. And so he gets out of his place in line, and he takes Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke him. Rebuke is not a strongly worded disagreement, like dear editor right? That's not what we're talking about. Rebuke is what happens when Jesus casts out a demon, 
right? He rebukes the demon. He, 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 he says, get out, right? And he drives the demon out. And there's a lot of shaking and there's a lot of convulsing. And it's, and it's kind of a violent kind of a thing, right? Rebuke is what Jesus uh, does when he calms the storm, when he straightens himself up against the storm. It says he rebukes the winds and the waves. He said, be still, right? When Peter is rebuking Jesus, he's getting out of his place in line. He's taking him out of, he's taking him to the side. And he's challenging his authority. He's presuming to boss Jesus around, right? He's saying, no, this is wrong. What you're, what you're teaching is heresy. That's not how it's supposed to be. And he's doing this in front of everybody. And how does Jesus react? He turns to Peter and in front of all the disciples, he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Go back to your spot in line. I'm in front. I'm in charge. Get behind me. And then Satan, we would say, you devil, right? He doesn't think like he, Peter is like literally the Satan, right? But he's, he's being a devil right now, right? Get behind me, you devil. You have in mind the things of earth, not the things of heaven, right? And then a whole crowd has uh, sort of taken notice of this uh, rabbi squabbling with his disciples. And so he addresses the disciples and he addresses the crowd. And he says, if anyone would come after me and follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. He must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Get behind me. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to take up your cross and you're going to go where I go. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, we don't set the agenda. Jesus sets the agenda. And we have to be willing to go where he goes and do what he does, no matter what it costs us. We have to get behind Jesus. So, during the French Revolution, um, they invented this device that was going to execute people really quickly. They call it the guillotine. You've seen it in movies, that big choppy thing. They put the head in and it goes, right, and chops the head clean off. And we think, well, gosh, that's a terrible way to die. But back then it was an improvement, right? It was quick. It was painless. No one was tortured. And the whole point of the guillotine is uh, young, old, rich, poor, everyone dies the same way. And so it was considered like egalitarian, <laughs> And so, uh, so the guillotine became sort of one of the symbols of the French Revolution. This is the new sophisticated way to chop people heads off, right? And um, historians say there was a period of about 10 years in France where people kind of had guillotine fever, right? Um, pe people bought like little tiny guillotines uh, that they could cut carrots with and, and, uh, and they would keep in their house, a little porcelain guillotine. Um, women wore like little guillotine um, uh, 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 earrings and people had guillotine necklaces. Now, that sounds really weird. You think, why would they do that? 
Ever seeing anyone with a cross necklace? Ever seeing anyone um, uh, walking down the street with a dress and, and it's got crosses on it? We've got a big gold one right here. I think Jesus' uh, followers and, and, and people in the first century would find that just as weird as the guillotine craze. Because when they saw the cross, they didn't see the symbol of glory that we see. They saw, like we sang in the song, an emblem of suffering and shame. Right? The cross was a symbol that meant, here's what happens to you when you step out of line. Here's what happens to you when you challenge the Roman government. The cross was not, um, was not for thieves. We traditionally say that the guys on Jesus' left and right were thieves, but the cross was traditionally reserved for people who challenged authority. So slaves who disobeyed their masters, maybe they tried to run away or, or tried to attack their master in some way, uh, they would be put on the cross so that any other slave that saw them just hanging there for days, they would know that's what happens. That's what happens when you step out of place. It was reserved for people who were like insurrectionists that, that you know, tried to uh, challenge government authority, right? They would be hung out on the cross for everyone to see, humiliated. This is what happens when you step out of line and when you uh, disrespect the Roman government. Is also a place for failed messiahs. Jesus was not the only person who ever claimed to be the Messiah, um, especially in the first century. It seemed like they were everywhere, and uh, they would uh, they would carry out Peter's agenda. Uh, they would uh, march into town. They would uh, they would gather an army of uh, of like minded peasants, and they would go uh, storm the temple, um, storm the storm the palace, and they would be quashed. And they would all be hung out on the cross for everyone to see. This is what happens to messiahs around here. When Jesus was eight years old, maybe nine years old, in Galilee, 2,000 people were hung on a cross in a single day for plotting an uprising against the government. Jesus would have walked by these crosses and seen them all. This is what happens when you step out of line. This is what happens when you challenge authority. See, that's what the cross meant. And when Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to step out of line with me. You have to be willing to face those kinds of consequences. You have to be willing to be humiliated. In front of all your countrymen, if you're going to follow me, You've got to be willing to take that, right? Most of us, when we think of self-denial, we think of like looking in the mirror at the beginning of the day and saying, you're not going to have soga today, right? And that's important, but that's not what Jesus is gigging at. When he's talking about denying yourself, it's like you're denying your own claim on your own life. If I go to Calvary, you go to Calvary. If I walk up the hill, you walk up the hill. Right? And that command rings through the ages to us today. See, that's why, 
this, this emblem of suffering and shame. That's why it's transformed into a symbol of glory for us because we understand that somehow when we walk that path of self-sacrificial love and when we walk it together, then our, our shame and our suffering and our guilt is transformed into glory. To somehow when we lose our lives, we find it. Somehow Jesus is right and we are transformed by this self-sacrificial love. And so we look to the cross today not as, as a symbol of humiliation, but as a symbol of glory. I was telling y'all we did this, uh, this 30-hour famine over the weekend. And I've done it, um, I've, I've done it a lot since I was in youth group. And, uh, and it, it always follows a similar pattern. See, we're fasting. We know we're fasting for world hunger. We get there at 5 o'clock, and, uh, and everyone's all right. They're whining because they missed supper. But you wake up on Saturday morning, and everyone's only what can be described as hangry, right? That, that, that cross-section between hungry and angry, right? And, uh, and everyone's hangry, and they're just kind of uh, being really snippy with each other, and, um, and it looks like it's all going to fall apart. It looks like people are going to go home. Then... Throughout the day, every year, it goes like this. People come together. The group becomes sort of united in this. We're all doing this to our bodies together. And we're all doing it for a reason, for a purpose. And these, 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 these kids become united. And uh, towards the end, their bodies are achy. They've got the headache and... Uh, and, 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 but, but they're excited. We're doing this. We've come this far. We're going to finish this. You see, somewhere in that, that, that act of self-sacrifice, they're complaining and they're aching and they're moaning becomes transformed. It becomes transformed into something else. And that's what happens for all of us when we walk the way of the cross. At first, we're complaining about the splinters. At first, it's a little too heavy. At first, we're, we're saying, why, God, did you put this on me? But as we walk the way of the cross, that becomes transformed, and we as people become transformed. And a couple of sticks, a couple of sticks that the world looks at and says that's worthless. That's not worth what you're sacrificing for it. That becomes a cross. That becomes transformed. See, the church for us is kind of like that wine shop a little bit when you think about it. Right? We come in here and we expect to encounter Jesus. And we expect for him to take us for all we've got and send us home with a couple of sticks, right? But somewhere in the experience, those sticks are transformed for us. And they're not symbols of humiliation. They're not worthless. They're everything. They're the cross for us. Everything has been transformed when we walk the way of Jesus. It becomes less about us and more about the people around us. 
It becomes less about our agenda and more about the kingdom of God. Anyone who walks through these doors, preacher included, has to give up their right to be in charge of the party. It has to surrender to Jesus and take up his cross and get behind him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.